I want to talk about strategy for spiritual warfare. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 to verse 11 in the NIV Bible. And I'm reading those verses. So I made up my mind that I will not make another painful visit to you. For if I grieve you, who is left to make me glad but you whom I have grieved? I wrote as I did so that when I came, I should not be distressed by those who ought to make me rejoice. I had confidence in all of you that you would all share my joy. For I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. If anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you to some extent, not to put it too severely. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient for him. Now instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. The reason I wrote to you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. If you forgive anyone, I also forgive him. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. Now our main verse, verse 11. In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen. Amen. This passage I've read is a very difficult passage to understand if you don't have the context. Because on the one hand, Paul is talking to a collective people, then he talks about an individual, talks about his pain, talks about their pain. He's kind of going everywhere. And this is where then the background, or what we call in theological terms, the exegesis of every text becomes so important. And I want to give you the background so that you can truly appreciate verse 11, which is our main text. And that's actually the text that we're going to be talking around in building up this topic of uh, spiritual warfare. It's important for us to understand this strategy for spiritual warfare and understand what it entails. Paul wrote this letter near the end of his missionary journey. And he writes this letter to the church in Corinth because the church in Corinth was a troubled church. For some years before, Paul and his companions had founded this church in Corinth. Even though the members in this church or in this believing community, they were all richly gifted. When you read what Paul writes, he commends them for not coming behind in any gift they are gifted in the things of God. And yet, the process of transformation towards Christ-likeness in these people's life seemed to be constantly blocked. Much as they had this rich spiritual heritage and they were gifted by the Spirit of God and the move of God moved among them. I mean, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is the one and only church we know where Paul wrote so extensively about the gifts of the Spirit that were manifesting in the church. But even if this was the case, the people in this church were really not living right. Paul, nevertheless, kept in touch with this Corinthian church as he did with all other churches. And finally, after a verbal report he received from the family of Chloe and a delegation that had come to him from Corinth, 
Paul had to help them with specific questions they had. And when you read 1 Corinthians, uh, you'll note that in the 1 Corinthians epistle, Paul is trying to answer lots of questions, like the one I've talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where he starts talking about the gifts of the Spirit. Because the delegation that came had asked about a lot of things, including the one that we're going to discuss in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, we need to understand how this church was because this church was in the city of Corinth. Corinth was a very important city in these ancient days. It was situated on what they call an isthmus, which bears its name. An isthmus is just a narrow strip of land with the sea on either side of that land, forming a link between the two larger areas of land. So this place called Corinth in New Testament times it was a very important commercial city. But it also, we are told when we read history, it was also an administrative center of the province of Achaia. So it was strategically situated as a major, major trading place. It also had a very important port. You do remember, in our country, we heard about the developments called Tlebecha, where we're going to have a port developed there. And the excitement that was there from our leaders about how this is going to be so revolutionary in changing the lives of people, bringing in jobs, and it's going to be the main part through which many items can be brought onto our continent. So it was in Corinth. It was a, an important city that had a port on it. And because people those days traveled by ship, they didn't fly, they traveled by ship, there was lots and lots of people from all parts of the world. And so Corinth, therefore, became a melting pot of different cultures. If you went to Corinth, you got lost in the culture of the city. Because once you have people who come from different backgrounds, issues of accountability and living right just disappear. Because everybody who is there does whatever because people have met in a place like this. And this made having church there very difficult because when you have a church in a place like this, unfortunately, God's people have a tendency to adopt the culture of the city and do what is done in the city. Corinth as well, we are told, it had major, major, huge athletic games that took place there. They had an outdoor theater that could take about 20,000 people. They also had another theater that was roofed that took about 3,000 people. When you walked around in Corinth, it was a very religious city. I didn't say Christian, I said religious. There were many temples there, many shrines there, many altars that were there. People worshipped foreign gods and, and all kinds of gods. You would also have on the streets of Corinth thousands of sex workers who worked in these temples, who engaged in sex with travelers, in, in worship of their God. There was thousands of these sex workers who made themselves available also to the temple of the Greek goddess called Aphrodite. The south side of Corinth was a marketplace that was lined with taverns. These taverns were equipped with underground cisterns for cooling drinks. It, it looks like it's like Soweto Bazalon. I don't know about you. And so Corinth, when you read about it, you know that 
They had laxity when it came to their moral life. They lived scandalous lifestyle. It was a completely pagan city. And therefore, this society created many difficulties for believers who lived there. Because if you lived in Corinth, if you say, you had to really, really make sure you don't let the spirit of the city drown you. And the problem we have today, Barcelona, we have Christian people who don't know how to live for Christ, even in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. We have people who call the name of Christ, but they have one foot in the world and one foot in the church. One foot in the world, one foot in the things of God. And so this church was a difficult church. That even if the Spirit of God was moving among them, they had a tendency to behave in ways that were not so right. And so Corinth was a church that was struggling. The only church where Paul wrote to it and he called them unspiritual. There's no other church that Paul wrote to that he ever called unspiritual except the church in Corinth. And yet when he writes to them, you can tell his love for this church. You can tell how he adores these people because he starts with a commendation. And he starts with a vote of confidence to them. In chapter 1 verse 2, he talks to them about them being sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be holy with all those who are everywhere who call on the name of Christ. And he assures them that Christ will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is trying to say, listen, even if you are in the world, you don't have to live like the world. Even though you are surrounded by all this evil, you don't have to imbibe the culture of the place. You have to do something uh, according to what Paul is saying. So as you read through the book of Corinthians, you'll become aware of this love that Paul had. But even if Paul loved this church, this church cost him a lot of strain. He was very strained by this church. Though they were endowed with spiritual gifts, in spite of them being graced with these divine endowments, the church in Corinth grappled with strife. They grappled with divisions. They grappled with jealousy. They grappled with immoral living. In the earlier letters where Paul had written to the leadership in the church to deal with a member in the church, this guy was having sexual relationships with his mother-in-law. And Paul writes and says, even among but for it to be done by somebody in the church and he says to the leaders in Corinth I am surprised that even if you know about this guy it's open you haven't dealt with this guy you haven't disciplined this guy you haven't called this man to order but thankfully the leaders in Corinth gave attention to this matter instituting disciplinary measures to the member in question, but their disciplinary measures, unfortunately, did not include restoration. Because you see, God's way of discipline, God's way of calling us to order, is to not only chastise us, but to restore us when we repent. But these leaders in Corinth, when they dealt with this member, even when he had demonstrated repentance and a changed lifestyle, and they needed to forgive him and restore him to fellowship. They didn't do so. So Paul writes, listen, you've got to forgive this guy. Make sure you bring him back to church. Or otherwise, he's going to drown in his sorrow. 
Otherwise, Satan is going to destroy his life totally. He says, if you don't do this, Satan will take advantage of us. We are not ignorant of his devices. What is Paul talking about? Paul is saying this because he is very much aware that when Satan is at work, when Satan is in operation, number one with this brother, he makes this brother commit sin. And after he has committed sin, he influences people not to receive him back when he repents. And Paul says, if you do that, then you are playing in the hands of Satan. You are ignorant of the plans of Satan who, you know, Satan will inspire you to do what's wrong. And when you have done what's wrong, he punishes you for doing what is wrong. And even when you die, he takes you to hell and bends you in hell. Isn't that, isn't that the devil himself? And Paul says we're not ignorant of Satan's devices. And so Paul is writing this to them to tell them that Satan can outwit us and we should not be unaware of his schemes. And it is from this expression that I want us to build a case to talk about how we wage spiritual warfare. Three words that are important. The word advantage, the word ignorant, and the word devices. Write it down. The word advantage, the word ignorant, the word devices. It reads there in 2 Corinthians 2.11, let Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. What is he talking about? Paul is saying, Satan wages a war against us and he uses trickery. Let's go through these words so that we can understand what it means to us. The word advantage there, where Paul says, let Satan should take advantage of us. That word advantage means to outwit, to trick, to take advantage of someone through some sinister or sneaky means. So Paul is saying, Satan is trying to outwit us. He's trying to trick us. He's trying to take advantage of us through sinister means and sneaky means. Let Satan should take advantage. Why? Restore this brother. Bring him back to fellowship. Make sure he comes back to church. Forgive him. Don't talk about him. Don't destroy him with his wrong. Don't go around publishing his name. Bring him back. He has repented. He has asked for forgiveness. Don't forget Hore Liluna Mudimu Don't forget Hore Ukupila Mudimu Atswarele. And it was the hundredth time. And when you were praying, God didn't say, Hi, 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 Two weeks ago, Utileka the same thing. If you were really serious, Ngabo Osapit. He says, remember, when you came to God, God forgave you. And Paul says, I wouldn't be asking much from you if I was to ask you to extend the same thing. He says, because if you don't do that, Satan will outwit you. He will take advantage of you. And this brother will be totally destroyed by too much sorrow. See, Basalan, we need to know this in church, as church people. One of the things that we need to balance Much as we stand and will preach and demonstrate right living, much as the Bible talks about right living and holy living, the same God who talks about right living and holy living is the same God who, when a sinner repents, he forgives them. 
And where the church fails sometimes and where we fail as people is our ability to forgive people who have genuinely repented before God. If there's a place where people must be received without judgment, it's the church. If there's a place where people must feel welcome, no matter what wrongs they've committed, that is if they repent and if they genuinely change, if there's a place where people must be received well, is the church. I made the example in the first service. You know, some time ago I was in conversation with one of the young people in our church and we were just talking and, and one of the things they said to me that really struck me to the core of my heart was to say, you know, Bishop, to be honest with you, I've never enjoyed Mother's Day cooker again. And I thought, what do you mean? I mean, Mother's Day razama, refabo mema blomo. I mean, line crosses razama. How was it? Razama, I mean, really razama, I mean, razama, serious. You know, we decided as men, just to be nice, you know. So, and I said, but I don't understand. Why is Sarati Mother's Day? She said, you see, uh, as a young person, I made a mistake. I got a child out of wedlock. And so when you asked us all mothers to stand, I stood. But as I stood, these are her words, the ladies around me there, the older women around me, but a high winner. So she said, no, I don't want and so on and so on and so on. And this young girl said to me, here I am in church trying to get right with God. And here are all these people around me who are condemning me for something that I have repented of. That's the text. Paul says, let Satan take advantage of us. Restore that person. Bring him back into fellowship. Because Satan has a way of bringing people down. And so, Paul is saying, Satan will take advantage of us. He outwits us. He brings tricks. And the word ignorant there, it refers to one who is ignorant of certain facts. He says, let Satan take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant. But that word includes making mistakes or errors due to a lack of understanding. So Paul is saying, if you don't understand how the enemy works, if you don't understand Satan's strategy, he will outwit you. That word ignorant is a picture of an unlearned person who, due to a lack of knowledge, is prone to arrive at mistaken conclusions. And Paul says, see, when you don't have knowledge and you don't know how God works, you will arrive at certain conclusions. Let Satan take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant, he says, of his devices. That word devices is the Greek word knows. It, it's derived from the root word knows. The word knows speaks of mind or intellect. But that word devices there is the word no matter. And it describes a mind that is scheming, calculating, conniving, Devious, shrewd, sly, or clever. Paul says, we're not ignorant of Satan's devices. He's saying, in short, we are aware that Satan is devious, he's scheming, he's calculating, he's conniving, he's shrewd, 
He's sly, he's clever, and there's no chedi. <laughs> I'm going to continue preaching, so don't worry. This is significant because what Paul is saying here, he is alerting us to the reality that Satan is not just hoping to hinder us, but Satan is incessantly scheming and conniving to injure us and to deliberately mess up our lives. In other words, Satan schemes and plans and strategizes to take you out. Satan is deliberately scheming, conniving, planning to mess up your spiritual life, to mess up your plans, to mess up your health, to mess up your marriage, to mess up your business, to mess up your family. This is an enemy that doesn't rely on anything else. He doesn't care how he accomplishes his evil plan. He just wants to find a way to ruin whatever you hold dear as a person. So Paul says, don't just shut your eyes and ignore the fact that the devil wants to bring you down. Don't ignore the fact that Satan is working hard for your downfall. He's using strategies, tricks to trip you up. He says, when you have an enemy who hates you, who wants to destroy you, you can't afford to be ignorant. You can't afford not to know the facts. You've got to know how this enemy is structured and how this enemy is trying to fight you. Can I hear a good amen? amen. For that reason, we need therefore to give attention to what the Holy Spirit is saying through the mouth of Paul and what he is saying through to us when it says, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. The complete Jewish Bible says, so that we will not be taken advantage of by the adversary, for we are quite aware of his schemes. The Bible in basic English says, so that Satan may not get the better of us, for we are not without knowledge of his divines. The Amplified Bible says, to keep Satan from getting the advantage over us, for we are not ignorant of his wiles and intentions. Therefore, Bazalan, this month we are going to learn the strategies for spiritual warfare. We need to allow the Holy Spirit through the word to teach us how to recognize the devil's operations. We are not here to magnify Satan. We're not here to talk about the devil. We are here to know and understand how he works so that we can use a strategy against him. We need to recognize his operations so that we will not fall prey to him any longer. Can I hear an amen? amen. Paul is therefore showing us that Satan uses schemes or a strategy to defeat a believer. Remember therefore, wars are not won so much on might but on strategy. In fact, when you read many books about war, you've got to have a strategy. What is a strategy? Broadly stated, strategy is planning, coordination, and general direction of military operations to meet overall political and military objectives. So in strategy, there's planning, there's coordination, and there's a specific direction. 
So we cannot be ignorant of how Satan is trying to plan and his strategy. The thing about us is that instead of him outwitting us, we are going to outwit him. We need to understand what strategy is because strategy as well is tactics that are implemented by short-term decisions on the movement of the troops and how the troops employ their weapons. So we need to know how to use our spiritual weapons. We need to know how to be tactical. We need to know when is the time to pray, when is the time to bind the devil, when is it the time to cast out demons. We need to know when is it the time to fast, when is the time to praise God. Remember, Paul and Silas in jail, when they were in jail, they didn't fast, they didn't do anything. What did they do? At midnight, they lifted up their hands and they sang praises to God. That was the strategy that was needed to break them out of jail. So we're going to learn this month how we are going to have that strategy. We are told that there are five basic military strategies. And all the other strategies are, are, are formed from these. These five military strategies, they are what they call the theoretical framework. Let me give you these five military strategies. Number one is extermination. Extermination. Write it down. Extermination. Number two, exhaustion. Number three, annihilation. Number four, intimidation. And number five, subversion. This is the framework. This is the broader strategies. Other strategies are derived from these five. But these five are like the foundation. Extermination, get rid of them. Exhaustion, let them be tired. Annihilation, destroy them. Intimidation, make them to be afraid. Subversion, exercise power over them. And if you weave these five together, it's a coherent military strategy. A man by the name of Robert Greene wrote about 33 strategies derived from these foundational five. And he says, if you look at these 33 strategies of war, you can almost derive certain principles for personal life. He categorized these strategies into different categories. And the first four that he talks about is what he calls the self-directed warfare. In other words, what he's saying is this. The starting point of every war begins in your mind. It begins with your thinking. You've got to think about war. You've got to strategize here in your head. So today I want to start with this first one here about the, 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 the self-directed warfare. So there's four things about self-directed warfare or four strategies that in his words are about getting your head into the game. You know, even before you can fight, you've got to think about what you're going into. If you read the words of Jesus, Jesus talks about it. He says, you know, if a king is to go to war, he first sits down and he strategizes. He tries to check if he can win the war. So certain wars, how about not, I'm not going to win. There's no use in you starting because already you have lost the war. So you want to minimize your loss. Now, well, as Christians, of course, it's, it's not a matter of we're going to lose any war. But we've got to start, first of all, with a strategy. So let's talk about this first one here. 
He says the mind is the starting point. So the first thing is you must declare war on your enemies. That's number one. Declare war on your enemies. He calls it the polarity. He calls it the polarity strategy. Declare war on your enemies. What is he talking about? Well, life is an endless battle and conflict. If you've ever lived more than one day or two days, you know that life is an endless battle and conflict. Almost like when you come from one battle, you go to another. Almost like you just can't get a breathing space. I mean, if, if, if your finances are not challenged, your health is challenged. If your health is not challenged, your relationships are challenged. If your relationships are challenged, your spiritual life is challenged. It's almost like there's never a day where you have a day off. It's like every day in Jordan, eh? it's a constant battle, a non-stopping battle. Life is an endless battle and conflict. And watch this. Therefore, you cannot fight effectively unless you can identify your enemy. Now, that may sound like an obvious point, but I'm going to show you how we lose at this point. You've got to identify your enemy. You need to learn how to take out your enemy, spot them by the signs and patterns that reveal their hostility. Then once you have your enemies in sight, you can declare war. Your enemies, therefore, are there for the taking. Now watch this, Bazalan. If Satan is our enemy, then I want to say to you, sometimes, looking at the way we behave, I don't think we really believe that Satan is our enemy. If Satan is my enemy, then why must I, as a child of God, allow Satan to influence my life? If Satan is an enemy, why do I allow him to drag me into jealousy? Why do I allow him to make me lazy to read the Bible, to make me lazy to pray? If Satan is an enemy, why do I allow him to move me into strife, unforgiveness, bitterness? Why do I give my body to the enemy and allow things that are evil to enter my body if Satan is an enemy? You know, this is something that I have never understood. That if we really, really understand that Satan is an enemy, why is it that we give him place? You know, Paul says, give the devil no place. And when he was talking about giving the devil no place, he wasn't talking about other things except that he was talking about our speech. He said, let your speech not be unwholesome speech. Don't let the sun go down whilst you are angry. Give the devil no place. Now, if I know that Satan is an enemy, why do I allow him to make me to be unforgiving towards you? Why do I allow bitterness and strife to be in my life? Then that means then I really don't really understand that Satan is an enemy. Secondly, if I really understood that Satan is an enemy, do I really know that he doesn't think good about me? Is it really clear to me that even if I can work for him, at the end of me working for him, he is still going to kill me? You know, there's one guy who... He was raised worshiping the devil. I mean, his story is an incredible story. And he talks about his dad who was, had fully given his life to saving Satan. And he says, my dad used to literally have conversations with evil spirits. These powers would come into the lounge at home or into one of the rooms where my father would use this room almost as an altar. 
And he said this evil presence, when it entered our house, it was such a big challenge and a big problem. And then he says, from the age of eight, I myself was actually initiated into this evil. I was so much of a worshiper of Satan and a follower of Satan that in the rank of servants of Satan, I was a general. I was responsible to go around the world and cause all kinds of tragedies to happen. He said, I serve Satan 24-7. He said further, you know, we would go to church, the satanic church, and we would spend time in that church. He called it the satanic church. And we would attend these services for seven hours. He says, our service would start early hours of the morning, about three o'clock, and it would go right through, you know, and we would attend. He said, I became surprised when I came to church when Christians couldn't be in church for more than three hours. We had church for seven hours, and he said, in the kingdom of Satan, if you were given an assignment to fulfill and you didn't fulfill it, the devil would punish you. And we not only did that, we would tithe our money to Satan. If we didn't tithe, there was trouble. He said, you know, when I became a Christian, I realized that Satan, even if I served him so well, the way I saw my father die, the way I noted this man went into destruction, I realized that Satan, even if you serve him so faithfully, this is what he does to you. We've got to understand that we have an enemy. And if we know that Satan is our enemy, then we're not going to give him any place. Don't give him a place in your spiritual life. Don't give him a place in your health. Don't give him a place in your pocketbook. Don't give him a place in your thought life. Don't allow Satan to influence you not to read the Bible, not to pray, not to go to church. You know, during this time of lockdown, there are people who have totally turned their back on God because they were disillusioned. Maybe they prayed for a family member who didn't get healed. Maybe they stood in faith for God not to lose their job, but they lost their job anyhow. And they decided to turn their back on God and to serve any other God. But the truth is this, Satan is an enemy. He doesn't love you. He doesn't mean well for you. He's not going to give you what's good. And if you understand that Satan is an enemy, then you're going to decide to serve God with everything in you. Can I hear an amen, Bazalan? So that's the first thing. We understand that Satan is our enemy. An enemy is a person who is actively opposed or hostile to someone or something. The Merriam-Webster dictionary says it's someone who hates another, who attacks or tries to harm another. Or it's a person who fosters harmful designs against or engages in antagonistic activities against another. So, Bazalana, we are at war and Satan is our enemy. However, the word of God reveals that we have victory over satanic power on condition that we don't play by his rules. On condition we don't allow him to trick us and trip us and get us to play his game. I cannot expect the power of God to be at work in my life when I am not fully yielded to God. I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about when I want to live in the world and live in the things of God at the same time. Our victory over Satan is that Jesus has already overcome the devil. The reality, Barcelona, is this. We are not trying to defeat the devil. All we are doing, we are enforcing the defeat that he already has. 
See, it's almost like when there's a court order that has been given against somebody. When the officials go to you, they are coming there to enforce what the court has already decided. You and I, we are here to enforce the victory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And God has provided all the weapons for us that we can use in warfare as we stand against Satan. And so in the next week, we will go into the other points about the strategy for war. But today, let's remember, Satan is our enemy. But the reality is this. We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. And the best thing is, don't give him any place in your life. You know, Reinhard Bonge tells this story that I've told before, and I think it's befitting for our lesson today, that there was this guy who owned a house. One day he hears a knock at the door. When he opened the door, it was Satan. And before you could say anything, the devil beat him up. I mean, just beat the guy up. I mean, just beat him up. Went into the house and ransacked the house and left. So, you know, this guy afterwards, he's, you know, He's very unhappy and he's, he's wondering, oh, God, you, you've allowed Satan to beat me up. Why didn't you intervene? So he's praying. He said, he said God, but I, I don't understand. Satan came here and he didn't intervene. God says, but you never called for help. And the brother said, all right, Jesus, can you come and help me? So Jesus comes to his house and the guy says, all right, you can have that bedroom there, that room over there. So Jesus goes into the room. So the next day, the devil comes, knocks on the door. Before the guy could say anything, beats the guy up very hard. Goes into the house, ransacks the rooms, except the one room where Jesus is. And leaves. So afterwards, the guy's very angry with Jesus. Goes to Jesus, knocks on the door. Jesus, Maranyema. I mean, the devil was here. You, you never even, you never, you never, you never even. Jesus said, well. I'm here. Well, it's up to you. You know how much you, you want to give me control over your life. This guy was a type of, he took a long time to learn. After several experiences where he kept on being beaten, I finally just said to Jesus, all right, Murana, just, let's level with each other here. From now onwards, all my life, the whole house belongs to you. All right, Jesus, the whole house, the whole house belongs to you. So, as usual, he has a knock at the door and he's about to open the door and all of a sudden this big hand gets hold of him, pushes him back and Jesus steps outside. Guy behind Jesus. And he says to the devil, can I help you? <laughs> and the rest is his strength. From that day, this guy was never bothered by the devil anymore. Question is, how much of your life is in the hands of God? How much of your life? You see, sometimes our spiritual life is in God's hands, but not our pocketbook. No. Or our, our life is in God's hands, not our relationships. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Our life is in your hands, God, but not our decision-making. We decide the way we want. And the devil comes and beats us up. Paul says, I, we're not ignorant of his devices. Give God the whole of your life. And see what God will do. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we want to thank you today for your word. Which is a lamp on our feet. A light on our path. We honor you, God. Would you raise your hands, Basalana, and just pray in the Holy Ghost right now.
as we thank God for his word. We thank you, Lord, that we will not allow your word to be obsolete and dead in our lives. We will stand on the basis of your word. We are not ignorant of Satan's devices. Lest it takes advantage of us. We will wage warfare. Use the principles of your word. We know that we are more than conquerors. In Jesus Christ. And whatever areas in our lives, God, that we have allowed the enemy to influence them, we give them to you. I'm going to ask us to stand on our feet. Accept the parents, please. Parents, you can remain seated. It's okay. If you're, if you're able to stand, it's fine, but you can remain seated, the parents. Let's all stand on our feet right now in the name of Jesus. Just raise your hands with me. Raise your hands with me. You know, Bazalana, one of the best ways to get rid of the hold of Satan of our lives is to give that room to Jesus. Give that part of your life to Jesus. And so this morning as we pray, I'm going to ask you willfully, as a choice that you make, whatever area it is, finances, decision making, your body, your time, your career, why don't you give it to God and say, God, here you are, have control over it. Pray with me right now. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your word, which is a lamp to my feet, a light on my path. Right now, I commit my life fully and totally to you. As the Lord of my life, as the King of Kings, Father, I repent of any area in my life that is not fully submitted to you. Just pray in the Holy Ghost right now. Just pray in the Holy Ghost. And under your breath, mention whatever area it is in your life that's not fully submitted to God. Mention it by name. Lord, I give this area or that area. I'm sorry that I did such and such. I went to that place. Sorry that I connected with that person. Sorry that I said that. Say it under your breath. As you pray right now and pray in the Holy Ghost. Thank you, Jesus. Say the man number socorro de mama. Jela man number socorro de brabadabados. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Say, Manama Nama Haladeast. Manembra Socorro Dea Monobros. Thank you, Jesus. Mangebre Socorro Dea Mahai Monosecar de Bella Manaya. Ramanoria Fafreferbe Debra Haladeskinasiasos. Zerema Hysteref. Macrecateskedasto. Brecatoscodosto Logile. Steparatere minsonon in cholota, kamalin in sum prendulin in cholota, ropani anonsun kunamalete anonsa, gichalin in drekadaglin on scrabadasco no sulotoriche, kimani morianum rebele badobre socorro de manemaniana. In the name of Jesus, separa namaliato cordea, namania nomra condam ragale, 
Lord, we yield to you fully, fully yielded, fully committed. You are Lord. You are Lord over everything in our lives. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Father, I thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that is delivering people, setting them free from any foothold that the enemy has had in their lives. I thank you that you cause them to have breakthroughs right now in the name of Jesus. Free them, God. Release them into the liberty of Christ. Jesus Christ has set us free and we are free indeed. Every form of oppression, every form of depression, every form of malady, every form of persecution, every form of bondage, anything that hedges us in, ties us up, makes us unable to move freely in the things of God. I release your people from it right now. In the name of Jesus, I pray for healing of their bodies from conditions that they have struggled with for many years. I release your healing power in Jesus' name. I release your healing power into their bodies. Be healed right now. Be set free right now in the name of Jesus. I release them from incurable deconditions. I release them from conditions that doctors don't know how to diagnose. They don't know what it is. Be released in Jesus' name. Be free in Jesus' name. Join me in the prayer and say, Heavenly Father. Say it again, Heavenly Father. I thank you for your freedom. I thank you for your deliverance. I am free indeed because I am of Christ. I belong to Christ. All my life belongs to Jesus. Jesus, you are my Lord. Jesus, you are Lord of my life. Jesus, you are Lord of everything I am. And I give you praise today in Jesus' name. Give him a hand of praise for he's worthy of it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Father, we are not ignorant of Satan's devices. We will continue to serve you. Remain standing, everybody. Keep your heads bowed, your eyes closed, please. And those who are seated, you can remain seated. If you are here and you've been invited or you've come on your own today and you are here and you've been listening to God's word and you realize your life is not yet yielded to God, you haven't received Jesus as Savior and Lord of your life. And right now, you need prayer. You want to accept Jesus in your life as your Savior and your Lord. Would you raise your hand right where you are, please? I want to pray for you. Right where you are, just raise it up. Thank you for those hands. Thank you for those bold hands. I really appreciate that. Really appreciate that. Raise, raise it up. Raise it up right where you are. Thank you, Lord. Let me pray for the people who have raised their hands. Father, I thank you for these precious people who've raised their hands saying, Jesus, come into my life and be the Savior and Lord of my life. Change them and transform them, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to ask the people who raise their hands, can you follow our counselors who are next to you there and our ushers to a private room? We want to talk to you in private, all right? Just follow them right now. Give them a big hand, Bazalana, as they walk. Give them a big hand. <laughs> Hallelujah.
Oh, Barcelona, give them a big hand, please. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. Amen, 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 amen. How many of you are going to cut off all those entrances to the devil in your life and you're not going to give him? Yeah. Satan is our enemy, Bazalana. He's your enemy. He doesn't mean any well for you. Anything he says to you is a lie. He tells you not to believe God's word. He tells you your prayers are not working. He fills you with fear. He's a liar. And he's your enemy as well. Don't forget that. He's using a strategy. You'll see next week. I'm going to show you about the strategy he uses in tying you to your past. Using condemnation to tie you to your past. But if Jesus sets you free, you are free indeed in the name of Jesus. Come on, give the Lord a big hand, Barcelona. You are free indeed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.